is there room for moderations where it is like the desserts and the wines and stuff in the overall sense of it it is those foods are toxic to our bodies so we are adding toxins into our body hello my love and welcome to the boldly courageous podcast my name is melissa martin i am a business and embodiment coach and creator of the boldly courageous community Just like you, I've walked through some dark seasons in life and I know what it's like to start over again and write a new story. This podcast is here to activate you, to show you what's possible when you embody your power and walk with courage and fear in the pursuit of what sets your soul on fire. Each week, you will hear authentic conversations with thought leaders and visionaries as we dive deep into topics such as spirituality, business, money, relationships, sexuality, and so much more so that you can fully embody your boldly courageous self. Are you ready? Let's drop in. Hey, real quick before we dive into the episode, I need to let you know about something really, really special to me. So if you're anything like me and you've had this calling on your heart to start a podcast, but you have no idea where to start, I want to introduce you to the incredible team that I have worked with literally from day one of launching Boldly Courageous over at Podcast Co. They have just released a self-paced course called Launch Your Fucking Podcast. This program will literally take you through step-by-step of launching your podcast from start to finish. You will learn everything about how to create and find the foundation and mission of your podcast, how to come up with the perfect name, get super clear on your audience and the structure of your show. Also, you will learn how to record, how to produce, how to edit, and also hosting, music, creating the perfect perfect cover and building a successful launch strategy. Basically, by the end of the program, you will have launched a podcast that feels authentic and expansive to you, labeling you as the expert that is ready to impact and grow your audience in whatever phase of life they may be at. So all you have to do is go to the link in the show notes, use code boldly courageous at checkout, and you will get a hundred dollars off the launch your fucking podcast course. So now let's jump into the episode. Welcome back to the Boldly Courageous podcast. I'm so grateful that you are here with me today. And my guest is Dr. Jacques. And Dr. Jacques and I met through mutual friends. He's a chiropractor and naturopath, holistic practitioner. And I love the information and content that he shares on social media. It's so informative. It's so helpful. Gut health and overall wellness. These are things that obviously should be important to everybody. But one of the foundational pillars for myself is that my energy is my number one priority. And so I knew that I wanted to have Jacques on to talk about all things having to do with health, wellness, gut, diet, all the things we, we talk about so much. Like this episode is chock full of breaking myths. We talk about the, the idea of moderation. We talk about different cleanses, what seed oils are good or bad for you. We talk about parasite protocols, We talk about different fad diets, being vegan, the carnivore diet, Atkins. We talk about intermittent fasting. Like literally we cover so much. I could definitely have him back for a second episode because there were so many things that we didn't cover. But what was most fascinating that I think you'll hear is he really focuses on the environmental components of your life first, because so much of 
the way that we eat is based on our environment and our stressors. And so he really helps to understand or helps you to understand what cravings are, what intuitive eating is, why it might not be so intuitive in the first place and how you can really optimize your health and your nutrition. And of course, if you need support, go to him because he is absolutely incredible. So my guest today is Doc Jacques, and he is a naturopathic health expert who has helped over 5,000 patients worldwide get answers to the health problems through natural approaches. His expertise lies in gut health, infertility, and mold toxicity. He's a national speaker, published researcher, doctor of chiropractor, coach, and a mentor to other doctors. Let's dive into my conversation with Jacques. Dr. Jacques, welcome to the Boldly Courageous podcast. I'm so excited to welcome you here. And something that I, I really love about you, I've been following you for a while, we, we have mutual friends, is you love to disrupt <laughs> the healthcare space and you do so in such an unapologetic way, but it's also not like you're not a dick about it. Like you're still nice about it, which I think is palatable for a lot of people. But yeah. I love the fact that you know exactly what it is that you do. You know your stuff and you're you're just paving the way for so many people to get healthy, which I think is needed, especially right now. So thank you so much for being you and being on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. And that's one of the things that, you know, you kind of have to do. You have to kind of have to live life with a pain pleasure principle. And pain is a very strong motivating factor. And if you just allow people to live like this cushy, normal life, then they become too good to be great. And I'm all about getting people to that greatness. So that's why I do it. Mm. Okay. There's so much to unpack in that. <laughs> I want to dive more. You're like speaking my language, but yeah. um, I start the show with the same question. And that is, what is one boldly courageous thing you've done recently? Oh, a boldly courageous thing that I have done recently. It could be anything. Uh, doesn't have to be related to your job. Yeah. Um, I mean... Uh, this, this might be funny. It's not boldly courageous. Well, I guess it is. It was because of Johnny. So Johnny Elsasser, he, um, we went to the wild man experience and I did it up in Kodiak, Alaska with him. And I have uh, a horrible fear of heights. And so Johnny, former spec ops is like, Oh, we're just going to hike this mountain. It's not a big deal. And we're going to go. I'm like, awesome. Let's do it. So we just went straight up and apparently Kodakians don't know how to take their time climbing a mountain. They just go. And so we got up to like the, the, the summit and the summit was like 10 feet away from like where I was supposed to go to, but I was terrified because there was, I don't know what 30 knots is in mile per hour, but the winds were blowing me all over the mountain. But the two days, two days after didn't make it to that summit, but I pushed myself up to the next summit of uh, pyramid mountain up in Kodiak and got to stand on top of a mountain. It was like, holy shit gives you a whole new perspective. It makes you super wildly uncomfortable, but it was a, it's an awesome feat that I did. Wow. That's amazing. I would, yeah. it's fear of fear of public speaking, fear of heights. Those are two, like the most common, like fears that people oh, yeah. think, right? Yeah. And then you just internally rationalize it. We're like, I've got kids, I've got a business. I can't do this. And I'm like, ah, oh. and I just did it. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. It's going to be a good story to tell. Mm. Would you do it again? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would probably go back to that first one, the North sister mountain and, and climb that one. Cause I think I could, um, especially on a non windy day, but just yeah. the view at the top was so worth it. And mm. I'm, I'm happy I did it. Do you feel like you still have a fear of heights? I, so it's a perspective thing now, right? So like when I look around the mountains in Arizona, I'm like, these things are huge. And then when you actually see what huge looks like in Kodiak, like there's some big mountains in like Sedona and around here, but it puts it into perspective that if I climbed a mountain that large, 
then I can definitely climb these other ones that I was previously afraid of climbing. So it sets my, my standard higher for what mm. I feel I know that I can achieve because I've already done it. So to tell myself that I couldn't do it would kind of be foolish to be lying to myself because I've already done it. Mm. It's about relativity, right? It's all yeah. relative. I literally was watching this video the other day from a woman who teaches on money mindset. And I, I feel like there's probably a lot that we can dive into <laughs> as far as um, health and wellness goes with as far as relativity, right? Of like the relative mm. benchmark of health. Yeah. But she was saying that somebody was asking, what does a million dollars feel like? And she was like, she's a multimillionaire. She's like, well, yeah. what does $10 feel like? What does $100 feel like? What does $1,000 feel like? It's all relative and it will only feel big if you assign it a meaning to feel a specific way. She's like, you know, when you were a kid, 25 cents was like, I'm rich. And now you're <laughs> kind of like, it's 25 cents. So to a billionaire, a million dollars is kind of like, it's just a million dollars, right? So it's kind mm -hmm. of that, that relative spectrum of like, once you um, can normalize the experience, it becomes relative. So what's the next mountain that you're climbing? The next mountain that I'm climbing? Yeah, you're going to do a literal, like literal mountain? Yeah, no, I'm not doing Everest. <laughs> well, John, Johnny was hilarious. He was like, well, you need to get over your fear of climbing mountains. He goes, because eventually when I die, I'm going to have you spread my ashes on top of a mountain. So you better get up there. So <laughs> I'm like, He's going to on purpose, just pick a big mountain because even in the afterlife, he's going to call you forward into your he'll, power. He'll mess with me. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll probably go, we'll probably go up to Sedona and maybe uh, cathedral rock or something like that. Catch another view, a little cooler up there too. So probably mm -hmm. something of that nature. I'm heading to Sedona for a retreat in October and I can't wait awesome. to go back and, and do some hiking. Um, okay. So I want to talk about, cause you said something in the very beginning about navigating pain and pleasure and being willing to give up good to get to great. So can you talk a little bit more about, um, what you see in your practice with clients navigating that experience of like, what does pain look like? What does pleasure look like? Cause I would imagine a lot of times the things that give us pleasure cause us pain in this yeah. kind of scenario. So how do you give up all the things that <laughs> taste good, feel good, you, you know, on that pleasure on the front end, but causes pain to have a more pleasurable long-term experience on the back end? Yeah. So there, there is, there's a lot that goes into this whole formulation of, of questioning. And when, when I say people are too good to be great, when they come to me, they've lost the, the, the goodness, even like I'm usually a, a last resort They've been absolutely everywhere, tried absolutely everything, and they come to me. And it's always been kind of my underdog mentality. I'm like, let's do it. And so when they come to me, they're in pain. And I'm like, all right, let's get you out of it. And then I joke around and I, I label this term, it's the curse of results. Mm -hmm. And so when I take away the patient's pain, or the patient does it themselves, because technically they're healing their own bodies, then the pain's not there anymore. And then they're like, oh, cool. I made it. I hit the destination. I, I got what I came here for. And I'm like, whoa, wait, no, like sit, stay. No, you have to keep going here because what you just accomplished was just a bit of the picture. You came to me at a 40% in health. I'm like, well, you've got 60 more to go. And then I'm like, well, how can we get you like 110%, 115%? So when they hit the curse of results, we have to still keep a little bit of a fire under their butt. And sometimes, you know, the, the previous things that they came to me for, they'll forget, you know, be like, oh, I'm good. And then they'll go on a bender and they'll be like, and a bender is not like, you know, drinking for five weeks straight or it's like, they'll just start eating gluten again and eating dairy. And then they start eating sugar. And then they're like, doc, I'm addicted to these foods again. And I'm like, oh, it's happening again. Like you, you did this, you slipped off here. So 
it's it's tough to navigate this because when you take away the pleasure and then you're you're promising the future land over here like hey things can be way better than what you're currently experiencing they're already like well i feel pretty dang good right now and i'm like but greatness is mm. over there come on like come with me but it's something that a lot of people a lot of americans haven't ever experienced greatness they might see it in movies you're like oh well, they can do it but i i definitely can't do it i'm like come on like you're so close. I know what your potential is. Mm. So a lot of it is is ingraining this potential talk into them too and like breaking through some mindset limitations, whether it's about money or finances or like how long do I need to keep eating this way? And I told you like as as long as you want to be healthy, like it's up to you what you do to your body. I'm the I'm like the concierge to get you there. <laughs> like, let's go. So that's some of the obstacles that I see, but it is it is one of those dynamics where they come in pain, we get them results, they go back to pain, then they come back and they're like, what happened? And then I have to like, now I'm not going to yell at my patients, but I'm like, like you kind of did it yourself. You have to own up to that personal responsibility piece and really take advantage of that. So that way, you know, this stuff going into the future. Right. So the types of pain that your clients are coming to, can you give an example of what that might look like? Yeah. I mean, this could be pain from uh, multiple miscarriages and they're coming to me for infertility. It could be that they burnt a giant hole in their pocket and they spent 20, 30, $40,000 on other functional medicine practitioners and didn't get results, or it's an abusive relationship, or mm -hmm. they just got a divorce, or they um, had a patient um, that couldn't leave. She couldn't leave her house because she had really bad irritable bowel and it was tearing apart her relationship with her, her spouse. And so these are the types of pains that people are coming to me with. And half the time they're like, I don't know if you can help me, but I hope you can. Like, mm. Let's do it. So that's some of the stuff that I deal with. Wow. So it's not just someone that's saying, hey, I need an adjustment or, hey, I'm having like <laughs> some, you know, GI issues. These are some really like, it sounds like you're almost a last resort. Like they've tried so many other things and they're coming to you as a last resort. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I got to be careful and say I don't treat any symptoms per se, but like I've got books dedicated for naturopathic oncology. Like I'll have cancer patients come to me and they're on their deathbeds or, or they'll be like, hey, again, being on the deathbed, I did chemo, I did radiation. That didn't work for me. What do you got for me? I'm like, great. You brought your body in shambles to me. Let's see if we can rebuild this damn thing. And yeah, so we'll see stuff like that. These last ditch case options were like, what can I do? Mm. And then we, we fix it. You know, we help them learn. Mm. So you mentioned dairy and gluten and sugar. And I'm like, what did I just eat? Yeah. <laughs> I'm vegan now. So I didn't have any dairy, but I definitely had some yeah. sugar. I may have some gluten here or there. So when you look at conventional diets, are there some like, are, what are like the, the top, like primary, who are the villains that we really like want to be looking at for optimum health, like to eliminate food wise? Yeah. Oh yeah. So definitely gluten. Um, gluten is definitely going to be a staple. Um, got into an argument, did two podcasts on that too, about gluten versus uh, here versus in Europe. So there is a different type of gluten where like, it's a lot harsher on our bodies here. Plus our nutrient, uh, the soil is mm -hmm. terrible in the United States versus over in Europe. So it's a little bit easier to squeak away with European wheat, but it's still going to do the same thing. Right. Um, dairy is going to be another one that I get into arguments all the time with because people are just so emotionally rooted in it. Mm -hmm. And something that's also really important to note about those two in particular is you have these compounds inside of the foods known as gluteomorphines from uh, gluten and you have casomorphines from dairy. So they're morphine-like compounds that make the food actually highly addictive. Mm. So it makes it really difficult to come off it. And when you do, 
you feel horrible and you mm. you feel like you're withdrawing from a drug and it's easier to just slide back. So those are, I would say, two of the top ones. The processed sugar thing is huge. Uh, to me, I'm a huge stickler. I don't care what anybody says. I might get flack for it, but you knew I was probably going to step on toes. I I want to. Yeah. It's this damn sucralose. Um, I'm sick of sucralose in whether it's in these sugar-free, like if you see sugar-free written on any labels, you should run the other way, unless it's a food that doesn't have sugar in it and it doesn't need it on a label. But the sucralose that's out there is destroying people's guts. It's destroying people's nervous systems. Uh, Sucralose can mimic MS symptoms. So it can actually damage your neurological system. And it's one of those things that we think it's healthy and it's it's good for weight loss and it's not doing a damn thing for us. Hmm. Um, past that, if we want to just keep going into it, I mean, you've got the obvious, the processed sugar that's in absolutely everything that we have to stay away from. Um, the artificial colorings of things as well, the blue dyes, the red dyes, caramel coloring. Um, you know, we're going to eventually be coming up on Halloween. So parents watch your kids with this stuff or you will pay the price of having crazy kids. Um, but those are probably some of the main ones that I try to tell people to stay away from. Is there a difference between like, if I go to Italy and I want spaghetti, am I going to feel different than the spaghetti (laughs) I eat here? That's the big thing is, um, so we use a, I think it's, I think it's hard, hard red wheat is in America. And then they have like a softer in Europe. And the, the, the kind that we have here has a higher, uh, gliadin or gluten concentration to it. So, people with a celiac presentation or any type of gluten sensitivities are going to overreact to this type of food versus over in Europe, it's a smaller content. So it's like, it's, it's still toxic to us, still not good for us, but it's less noticeable for us versus being over here. Mm. And when you say sugars, what about things like, um, I'm I'm just curious, like from a clarification standpoint, how do you feel about things like monk fruit and um dates versus like fruit is fruit considered a sugar fruit juice and um stevia so this is yeah i'm not a big fan of any of them um because to me sugar is sugar there are different things where your body will spike um if you have normal sugar your body's insulin will spike the stevias the xylitols the theory behind it is that you don't actually physically absorb it it touches the tongue it goes through the digestive tract and goes out on the other end even with like a, a xylitol from like a birch tree xylitol, it's supposed to be one of the better versions. It has antibacterial properties too for the gut. What can happen though is with that, just as well as any other like uh, like the monk fruit, same kind of concept is you're still your body still perceives as though it's going to have sugar because it tastes that way, and your taste buds tell your body, "Hey, get ready for it." So it can have issues with your pancreas and, and cause different issues with your insulin even though it's not physically going into the bloodstream, according to what, you know, some research is saying there. Hmm. Interesting. So you don't have any, you don't eat any dates. You don't have any fruit. Like what are your thoughts on fruit? Do you eat fruit? Fruits? Yeah. I mean, I'll eat fruits uh, mainly for like the polyphenols and stuff, but I'll I'll use a lot of like fruit extracts and things of that nature to be able to use the polyphenols for growing of like probiotics. So it's like a prebiotic. Um, I use a little bit more sparingly though. Um, there's a big debate right now as to what fructose is doing into the body. Is it causing obesity, this, that, and the other thing? I think that if you do it, and I hate the phrase, but I'm going to say this, but if you do it in moderations where you're not just constantly pounding down uh, fruit all the time, you're not going to have a negative experience with it. You're going to have the antioxidants. You're going to have the polyphenols. There's detoxification support that comes with a lot of these things as well. So the benefit far outweighs the, the negatives whenever it comes to the fruit. 
Yeah. I find that I, I prefer fruit in the morning. Like I'll do, um, like a plant-based protein with spinach and like frozen pineapple or something like that. Cause I, I want the, usually I'm having it like after a workout. So I like the Mm -hmm. carbs a little bit more carbs (laughs) and then maybe as like a snack, I'll have a piece of fruit, but I, I like to eat heavier in the evening. I've noticed that like at nighttime is when I want carbs, I want something (laughs) heavier. And I came from the fitness world and that was like the kiss of death. Like you don't eat carbs past three and like, what you eat carbs in the morning, but like heavy carbs, like complex Mm -hmm. carbs, like oatmeal and things like that in the morning make me tired. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on, um, like intermittent fasting and heavier meals at night and, and all that jazz? Yeah. So intermittent fasting, it's, it's got its place. Fasting has its place in, in health and wellness. And I know, uh, Dr. Fung is all about, um, like the, the fasting women have to be really, really, really careful with fasting. If you are in a chronically stressed state, it's not good for you to fast. You're a lot more, women are a lot more sensitive to that happening. And I don't know many women who aren't stressed out. So I'm like, what, how do you define yeah. chronically stressed? Can we define yeah. that? I'm like, hmm, yeah. is that relative? So it's, I mean, in a way, but yeah. So like, you know, we'll have, we'll have that happen. And, and Dave Asprey came out with uh, one of the books, actually, I don't know if it was bulletproof. I have one of his other books, but it was, um, I think it was the actual bulletproof diet was encouraging people to intermittent fast. And then he got hit by a whole bunch of hate mail from women, females, et cetera, that were like, I gained so much weight. I feel horrible. I don't know what's going on. And then so he went back and he made a new book called Fast This Way that I read. And it was like, oh, uh, you should do it this way instead. So, you know, you can fast, but like he'll tell you to do like some collagen or like some BCAAs and things, coffee, like your bulletproof coffee in the morning to help to keep you kind of satiated, but not cause a spike in your blood sugar. Mm. Um, There's the OMAD, the one meal a day, which I find myself doing, I call it accidental or incidental intermittent fasting, where I'll just work my face off all day. And then dinner comes, I'm like, all right, let's eat. So you can have benefits from giving your digestive tract a rest. I don't think anybody would really be able to argue that. Um, But then it does come into, well, what are you going to put into your body? You know, you don't want to intermittent fast. And I know people that are out there, these influencers in the fitness freaking industry, where they're doing the whole, if it fits your macros, and they're pounding down 58 donuts in the afternoon because they're like, oh, well, I didn't eat all day. And I'm like, no, you're poisoning yourself. So there's a time and a place for their intermittent fasting, but you want to make sure, yeah, your adrenals aren't completely shot out and then you're doing it and listening to your body, do it intuitively or intuitive fasting. So that way you are like, Hey, I'm dying and freaking stop. Cause your body's trying to tell you, don't do it right now. Right. Okay. So you said intuitive, which was kind of my next question. And I want to talk about macros as well. Cause this is, uh, we're going to just break down all of these different fads, right? Is intuitive eating really intuitive, kind of like going back to what you were saying about, um, the addictive properties of gluten and dairy is, uh, intuitive eating really, truly intuitive, or is it based on addictions that we have to sugar and these processed foods that are like brainwashing our bodies essentially in our gut microbiome? Maybe I'm answering the question, but you tell me you're the expert. Yeah, no, you're, you're right on it. So, so yeah, there are certain behavioral responses, Okay. And a lot of it honestly does stem from childhood, right? Where, um, you'll have, like I had patients back in Pittsburgh when I was still adjusting out there where the couple was like, I go over to so-and-so's house and their family has this entire spread of like apps and it's out all day. And he goes, and I grew up in a family where we didn't do that. We just had three meals a day and that was it. 
And so you'll see these habits that will start to creep where even in our kids, if they sit down to watch TV, which is super rare, within about five, 10 minutes, they're like, dad, I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you're not, bro. You're bored right now. Let's go. Let's stop watching this. Let's go do something active. And then I can get them to fast for like three hours. Yeah. When it comes to, I mean, this is going to go back to like, all right, we'll, we'll go back to where diets and stuff came from. Anyways. Yeah, let's do it. So there was, I forget what book this was in, um, but they were talking about the industrial revolution being one of the worst things that happened to society. And the reason was everything then became on a clock, on a timer. It had to hit the train right? schedule had to hit the train schedule. So you had to hit breakfast, then you had to hit lunch, and then you had to hit dinner. And then that was like how things became, you know, what it was. And so then we got foods that were assigned to each category. And we were told, hey, we have to eat breakfast, lunch, dinner. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Then it's dinner. There's all this information that just keeps, you know, sliding around from the industrial revolution. So when it comes to the eating side of things, we're I'll wake up in the morning and intuitively, if I'm hungry, I'm like, hey, I'm going to eat a shake or I'm going to make some sort of like lunch type meal for breakfast or I'll do like some eggs or something and eat it. Where we have an issue is if you start your day in chaos, okay, which most people do, start your day in chaos, then you're spiking your cortisol, your blood sugar is going to go abnormal. And the first thing people intuitively want to eat is something quick, starchy, or a carb, something sugary. Go on the road, get cereal, go get a donut and a coffee and go to work, right? And then that becomes a habit. That's not intuitive. That's what you do every single day. Most people, if they look at an entire year of their life, they eat, drink, and sleep the same amount, same things every single day. Nothing really ever changes, which would drive me crazy just to live that life. But then we have different infections. If you've got candida overgrowth because you are used to eating excess sugar or processed sugar or just bad foods in general, antibiotic usage, et cetera, then that candida is going to say, hey, Melissa, you need to eat some sugar. And then they're like, okay, well, I think my brain is telling me to eat sugar, so I'm going to eat sugar. And then your, your yeast is like, yay, we won, same time tomorrow. And then that becomes a new habit. And then in stressed situations, we don't crave, we don't typically crave protein. We don't typically crave like a healthy fat. We automatically jump into a carb. Mm. Okay. Parasites can do the same thing. Parasites around a full moon can make you crave all kinds of weird stuff and make you uncomfortable. But <laughs> I know this. I'm like, I, I remember hearing another um, wellness practitioner in chiropractic office talking about, hey, like if you notice during the full moon that you're a little cuckoo, it's the mm-hmm. it's the parasites in your bacteria. And I was like, oh, that's so gross. Maybe yeah. we can talk more about that in a minute. But sure. keep going. Yeah. So, so when it comes to the intuitive eating or the intuitive fasting, I think that there has to be a, a new set baseline, right? You cannot, in my opinion, you cannot intuitively fast in a sick state because the stress is going to dictate what you do. Your environment's going to dictate what you do. The infections are going to dictate what you do. Once you eliminate and correct those things, then you are consciously aware of what you're actually doing throughout the day. Otherwise, you're just a programmed robot going about the day till you sleep again. Hmm. So once you fix the baseline, then you'll come to a new level of understanding where like, if you wake up or if you're, you know, you go and you eat, um, you eat a, a giant meal for dinner, you wake up the next morning and you're like, I'm not really that hungry. 
well, you still had the calories that you had from last night. So intuitively speaking, you're good. Like you, you've got food that yep. your body can process through. So don't force a meal in just because you feel obligated to listen to your body, right? You could do the same thing for certain food sources. Like if you say heavy carbs kind of disagree with you, well, could be a stomach acid issue, could be something along those lines. But if you also don't agree with it, or if it gives you hives or rashes, or you feel bloated, or you get a headache, listen to your body. It's going to tell you what you should and shouldn't eat. So hopefully that helps bring some clarity. Yeah, it's, I can see how it would be confusing though, right? Because if I'm listening to my body and it's telling me to eat ice cream, like, is that really helpful or, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Like coming again from the fitness world, I was on such a restrictive diet, you know? And I, of course, was looking at all the things I couldn't have and like having uh, physical, like imagining eating cookies and ice cream and pizza and craving those, those cheat meals. And, but what, what I find to be really interesting about what you're saying is, um, so much of what we eat is really uh, impacted or influenced rather by our environment. And it sounds to me like the quote unquote best diet I'm using air quotes Mm -hmm. starts with your environment. Yeah. Both internal and external. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about moderation for a second, because it was something that you had mentioned earlier (laughs) when we were talking about pasta in Italy. And I was like, okay. And so one of the things that I know for me has worked with intuitive eating, but you're helping me to see things from a new perspective is I, I would think about how do I want to feel like after this, like if I'm going out to dinner and, uh, I'm aware of my body and you know, what foods make me feel a certain way. I'd kind of sit and ask, like, how do I want to feel after dinner? And I would get a clear answer of like, well, I don't want to feel bloated and distressed. I want to be present and awake. So I would make choices kind of based on that. And I would modify or have things that like would bring me pleasure, mm-hmm. but in mod- moderation, right? So if I'm going to have two glasses of wine, I probably won't have dessert. If I'm going to have pasta, I won't have bread. Like I'll have vegetables or something like that. So can we talk a little bit more about like, is there room for moderation if you want optimal health or are we just saying no to moderation and <laughs> and yes to greatness? So, so moderation does, I mean, this is probably one of the biggest topics to date with the whole everything in moderation, which is why I said, I hate the quote, but I'm going to use it. Yeah. But when it comes to it, there there is a psychological component to it where I know that I used to compete back in the day too. So when we say like everything in moderation, we want to have certain things and we usually come up with some sort of reasonable justification as to why we want it. The way that you talked about approaching intuitive eating is something that I'll coach my patients on doing as well, where it's like, um, like I had a patient with a kid who he be, he behaves like a maniac every time he eats gluten and dairy, but they, mm. he keeps eating gluten and dairy. And so yes. I got to the point where I'm like, well, listen, this is how his body responds. So you have to understand if you're not willing to strap down on the diet and you're willing to feed your kid this food, then you can't be upset when the outcome is the same as it was previously. So when you go into it and you're like, well, I don't want to be bloated. I don't want to feel terrible. To me, I'm like, yep, carbs are out. Like no dairy, (laughs) no carbs. Like, no, we're going to get some good fats in, good proteins, some veggies. Things are going to be good. Maybe one piece of bread, you know, even if it's not gluten-free, a little bit there is going to hurt me. But I know how my body's going to feel afterwards. And I've also spent a lot of time making my body as healthy as humanly possible. So I'll feel it, but it gets in and it gets out super quick. 
is there room for moderations where it is like the desserts and the wines and stuff in the overall sense of it it is those foods are toxic to our bodies so we are adding toxins into our body mm. whether we feel called to eat it or not it's still i mean and i've tried like we went to tulum and I tried uh, eating some dairy down there. And I'm like, I'm going to go into this meal with pure love, just awesomeness. And, and good I'm, vibes. Just good vibes only. I'm like, we're going to do this. And we ate the pizza. And I'm like, hmm. I'm like, God <laughs> no. damn, it didn't no. work. Didn't work. Didn't Doesn't work. Mullet. Like, ah, no way. So, like, I, I don't think if you want to be abundantly healthy, I don't think the moderation piece of it is is able to be weaved into it. But there is the psychological component where if – if somebody does have a, a an eating disorder or previous competitive, which to me, anybody who competed had a, an eating disorder. We were, <laughs> we were fucking stupid uh, with half the stuff that we did. Yes. And so if we tell certain people, hey, you cannot eat this, if that goes on for too long and we don't fix that emotional imbalance on that food, then when they do get to a certain point, they're going to snap yeah. And then they're going to eat everything okay. and undo everything and never talk to anybody again because they feel like a troll hiding under a bridge just eating all the pizza in the world. <laughs> like seriously. So so in, in that mindset, in theory, there are patients where I'll say, listen, like I know this is really difficult right now. And in the beginning, what I'll t- tend to tell people to do is like give me six solid days a week where you're 100%. And then on Saturdays, we'll give you a vacation meal. I don't even like to call it a cheat meal because it brings that negative connotation to it. We'll give you a vacation meal. And I'm like, the reason you're doing it on Saturday is because Sunday you're going to feel like shit. Mm -hmm. And I don't want you to have to go to work or do whatever feeling crummy, but it starts to build that pain response, right? Pain pleasure to then know like, I don't ever want to eat that way again because I feel horrible every single time I do. So sometimes I'll use it as like a, a healthy manipulation tactic to make people truly understand what the food is doing to them. And then that empowers them because they know anytime they have it, they're going to feel terrible and they don't want to feel that way. Yeah. That is really key right there. And I've had those experiences. I'm like, I never want to feel this way again. Don't forget this moment. And then Mm -hmm. a couple months later, I'm like, I forgot what that felt like. I should remember (laughs) put myself right back in those situations. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Let's talk about parasites. Cause you mentioned that and like, it's fascinating to me. So, uh, one of my girlfriends, um, two of them actually one healed herself from a really, uh, intense, intense, uh, case of Lyme disease with co-infection. Mm-hmm. And she did a 30 yeah. day water fast, mm. which I know is not like recommended. She did it with mm. her doctor, but she yeah. was talking about all of the parasites. And then another one of my friends, um, has done quite a few coffee enemas. And I know mm-hmm. I want to talk about that as well. Um, but she was talking about all the parasites she was passing. And I feel like this is like trending right now. Like people are like, I'll send you a picture if you want, if you yeah. want to see it. I'm like, I kind of yeah. don't, but I also kind of do. Yeah. So, uh, can we talk about parasites and yeah. like, do I have a tapeworm? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> so like, this, <laughs> yeah, I, I legit, um, I think it was last Saturday. I messaged, um, my, my VA, uh, do you know, Regina? I don't think so. Uh, no. I messaged her and uh, cause she sent me something. She's like, I need you to do this on TikTok and come up with this or whatever. And she's like coming up with a strategy. And I was like, are you kidding me? You sending me parasite girl again? And she was like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm tired of shit. So I'm going to explain. No what, pun intended. Yeah. Well, yeah. That totally <laughs> slipped in there. That was a good call. Um, no. Th- so there, there's a lot of 
understanding and misunderstanding with parasites. Okay. Parasites are all around us. I mean, legit. It's, it's disgusting. They're weird. If you look at them, like if you poke, pull up a, they're, they're nasty little creatures that are, they wreak havoc on the body, but their goal is to, to kill you just enough to keep you alive or like hurt you just enough to keep you alive because you're their host. They don't want you going anywhere. They just want to take everything from you. So when it comes to the whole, like, cause I, I'll know people who do parasite cleanse after parasite cleanse every single month, every full moon cleanse, cleanse, cleanse. They're like, I'm having all these parasites come out and I'm like, hold up what the hell are you doing that you're being exposed to that many parasites? You don't just have 500 million parasites inside you. Are you eating them? Are you, because you have like horses will have parasites. You walk around barefoot, um, do some grounding. I have a lot of Amish that'll work in like um, organic um, topsoil and things like that that'll have parasites in them. But if your digestive tract is perfect, you will not have parasites. This is really key because your stomach should completely incinerate any parasite that you consume, however gross that sounds. Okay. They did studies on this. There's, um, there's a book called, I think it's called the chronic stress crisis, the chronic stress crisis. I can't remember where I put it around here. I usually carry it around with me when I travel and we're traveling Saturday. So I probably have it in my case, but it, it talked about giving a parasite Giardia to inmates um, back when they were allowed to experiment on prisoners, which kind of weird, but they, <laughs> they were talking about, um, they talked about stomach acid. They talked about another marker called secretory IgA, which is our immune system response to certain things. So they did precursor marker secretory IgA was high in a good way for a certain uh, demographic. And then we had the people with a low secretory IgA or weakened immune system. They made them drink Giardia water and they're like, what's going to happen? And the people with normal secretory IgA got rid of the parasite. They had symptoms, but it was like 24 hours, boom, they were done. People with low secretory IgA, the, the parasite basically took root and inhabited itself inside the gut because secretory IgA is found in the mucosal lining of the gut, which brings me to another point. A lot of people with their posting pictures are posting their mucosal plaque that's coming mm. out. It's not parasites. Mm. That's common to shed that mucosal lining. But if you break it apart and you're starting to see parasites inside that, then yes, you got to yeah. dig a little bit deeper. Yeah. But if you have proper <laughs> stomach acid, right? And it, <laughs> we're talking about picking apart poop and parasites. Dig it's great. Deep. We're going. Yeah. Deep. I yes. Love it. <laughs> so, but if you if you dig it dig it apart and find them in there, okay. But then again, why did they come to begin with? Or where's the source coming from? Is it drinking water? I've had people drink out of spring water. They have yeah. a spring like in the back of their house and it just gets you know riddled with parasites. Their stomach acid is low, which is also brings in the stress piece to this where if you're chronically stressed, it's going to suppress your stomach acid concentration. It leads to a, a situation known as hypochlorhydria. And if it continues to go on for a while, you'll get achlorhydria where you have no stomach acid produced at all, which means anything you, you eat, whether it's parasite bacteria or somehow you eat some sort of yeasty food, it's going to come down and it's just going to get comfy, cozy in your gut and, and live its best life. When we have low secretory IgA from that chronic stress response, right? People will say when you're stressed out, you know, you'll get sick. Um, yeah. Or like if people have like, I always use this example because people will know, but if like you have herpes and you're stressed out, you'll be like, oh, right shoot, now. I got a cold sore. Yeah. yeah, that's that response. That secretory IgA is housed in that mucosal lining. 
And if we have low secretory IgA, we typically have low mucosal lining, which then makes it really easy for parasites to hook in as it's getting pulled through the gut. So there's a lot that goes into this. Um, parasites are all around us for sure. Um, I test them. You know, I test my parasites in a stool test. I don't, I don't just guess on it. There are a couple that are really hard to find. Uh, Entamoeba histolytica is one that uh, nobody should ever want to try to get. It literally eats apart your liver and your digestive tract. It's one of the worst you can have, and it hides in the liver, so you can't typically find it. Mm. Um, but yeah, so, so that's so interesting. And so, do most people who have uh, they think they have IBS or they're just have sensitivities to stuff. Is it really more of a parasitic infection? Like, how do you know if you have parasites other than you feel like a crazy person around the full moon? And like <laughs> most people feel crazy around full moon anyway. So like, yeah. how do you even know if you have a parasitic? I don't even know if I want to know the answer to this, but like, tell well, that's, me. yeah. So that's where, that's where I'll typically test. So like, I've had people where I've tested and they're like, uh, I think I have a parasite. I'm going to do a parasite cleanse. I'm like, go for it. You don't have any, but, but go for it. There are certain stealth parasites that can hide themselves within the digestive tract. And some of the symptoms of parasite infections can be like you're anemic. You can have um, blood coming out in your stool, whether it's bright red or dark, um, tiredness, fatigue. Cause remember the, they're taking all of your nutrients. Yeah. So if you feel like you just got chronic fatigue or something of that nature, um, infertility can come from mm. parasites there too, because it causes issues with leaky gut. And then that's going to lead to um, mm. inflamed um, reproductive tissues. But they're, they're all around us. But I would say in the grand scheme of like with the IBS kind of things, it's usually going to be stemming from a chronic stress response, weakened immune system, H. pylori infection in the stomach or low stomach acid. And then like parasites, one of like the last things that are going to get deposited into the picture and just cause chaos. You know, I'll see bacterial infections in like 90 some percent of the cases that I'll see parasites, maybe 30, 40%. And again, a lot of them are my Amish patients who are just outside barefoot, you know, picking weeds and mess with horses and, and having uh, dogs. Like a lot of them um, raise dogs and, and sell dogs. And so they're constantly deworming these dogs and they're there. So yeah. Do you have a dog? I do. Yeah. Does your dog sleep in your bed? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Mm -mm. Yeah. Mine doesn't anymore, but she used to. Yeah. Yeah, I had um, our son had a, a worm uh, when he was oh, no. a year. Like, a, yeah. So we were like, after that, Lucy, nope. our dog, like, nah, you're not I getting grew up in any on a of our stuff. Farm with barn cats and chickens, and I've seen it. I've seen all of the fun stuff. Yeah. Too, so I, I get it. Okay. Yep. So what would be like a good parasite protocol? Like, how do? Okay, let's say I I've done a cleanse, or maybe we can talk about what the cleanse would look like. But how do you uh, stay parasite free? <laughs> so eliminated exposure is going to be the obvious one, right? If you, if you live in a bubble, you're not going to randomly pick up a, a parasite, but I'm also telling people don't live in a bubble. Yeah. So just be cognizant. Like if you have a pet, deworm the pet, you know, put them on a dewormer, um, give, put them on like a three day schedule. It's like 10 bucks to do it. And you can do that like every six months. So like twice a year you can do it. And then when you do have the parasites come out, this is where I think a lot of people screw up is they just leave it there or they don't do anything with the, the amount of parasites that came out and it doesn't necessarily mean you killed them all. So then they can burrow into the ground and then hook into your dog again, and then give you another administration of a parasite. You just go around and around. 
Round and around. Uh, I also drink insanely filtered water. I have um, our water that we drink out of is it comes out of a Berkey filter, and I have every single filtration thing that you can build into a Berkey so that it takes out any cysts or troughs like babies or grown parasites, so we don't have any issues with the drinking water. Um, in terms so of the okay. filter on my fridge is not good enough, is what you're saying. Uh, not usually. I don't know what filter you have, but not usually. I don't yeah. know. It's Atlanta City water filtered through my fridge. So I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. It's super okay. clean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So then in terms of like protocols to get these things out, so there's different there's different companies that boast different products. Um, the most common, um, there's well, they're both kind of the same company, but they just call themselves something different. Um, the other one, the one's called Cellcore and the other one is uh, Microbiome. I think is what the the product's called, but they're they're the same product, same thing, Um, same owners, I think actually too. Um, And there's a pair one, pair two, and pair three product that you can take. Um, And then you bind up. Um, Pair one, it has mimosa pudica seed, which is like a gut scrubber. So it rips out the mucosal lining. So that's what a lot of people will see. Like I've got parasites. Like, no, you just bound up your gut and threw it out. Um, The, the, Para 2 has some components in that as well, but it's again designed to kill off the parasites with that. And then Para 3 is like a super potent parasite killer overall that you can you can dose in there too, uh, with recommendations to titrate up on how much your body can handle. Some people require like a, a the biotoxin binder from Cellcore just to bind up the excess toxins because with killing parasites, you can have some pretty harsh die-off reactions that you don't want to experience. So when you throw the binder in there, it helps to mitigate that a little bit more. Um, and then also making sure you have proper bowel movements because you don't want to kill a parasite, throw it into your gut and stay constipated for two, three, four days, because it's just going to cause a lot of irritation to your gut. So how much vacation time does someone need to do this type of cleanse? <laughs> <laughs> I have patients do it and they don't, they don't skip a beat. Yeah. You know, it's, okay. yeah, you can do it. I mean, the, the beginner's dose, whatever is if you, if you track a full moon, so full moons, Parasites are most active, um, the most hungry too. And then they eat up a lot of our neurotransmitters, which is what makes people a little bit cuckoo and crazy. Um, and then they'll give uh, anxiety and insomnia. So hmm. when you approach the full moon, the beginner's dose is like, do it the day before the full moon, day of, day after. Just do three days and see how you feel. The next full moon, they'll say, try to do, um, I think it's three days before, day of, three days after. And then you can do the week before, hit the day, and then the week after to do like a full thing. What a lot of people also miss, which is another reason why a lot of people do this time and time and time and time again, is there are different stages of parasite growth between, again, the cysts and the trophs. And the life cycle is usually 60 days. So if you do a burst cleanse, you're like, I'm going to kill all the parasites in the full moon. And you're like, yes. And it's like, but what about the babies? The babies are going to grow. So again, you have to make sure that you're doing this right. And the minimum for me for a parasite cleanse is two months, 60 days kill that stuff out. And then I'll, I won't retest the stool until another two months have passed to reconfirm that nothing else has gotten in there. There are some parasites that are just a pain in the butt to get rid of. Um, one of them is blastocystis. I know, right? Pun intended all over the place here, but uh, <laughs> it's blastocystis hominis is one that's like super difficult to get rid of, mm. but it's not one of the most deadly. It's just, it's an IBS contributor, um, can cause a lot of discomfort. But the majority of the parasites can be killed and eliminated in 60 days. And as long as you don't re-expose yourself and you work on your stomach acid and fix some of these other things, once you once you do it, you're good. Yeah. So um, this is random. You know those like foot cleanses that you put, yeah. like, supposedly mm-hmm. they draw the toxins out. Do those actually work? Uh, <sighs> or is that like some snake oil? So... T- 
Oh my gosh. So, I've seen uh, them and I'm like, that is some gnarly, gnarly shit. And I don't I've know if I, yeah, <laughs> like, I don't I, know if that's real or it's just like magic in the water. It's a lot of it's the, the ionic charging, which is going to change the water to different colors. I've had patients, uh, again, one of them is an Amish out in Ohio. She was sending me pictures of the stuff that was coming through there. So and it looked crazy. like she just dumped like maggots and trash into her, into her little bin. I'm like, what the hell? How, how did that come out? So I don't know if all of them are bad or some of them are bad or it's just all, like you said, snake oil. I personally don't use those. Um, I do know that there are parasites that hook in through the heels and then they go up and they, they hijack the circulatory system. Oh, they're smart. So they'll go through the, the, the yeah, circulatory system, deposit themselves in the lungs, give you a cough so that you cough it up and then it goes down the esophagus and drops Ugh. down into the stomach, into the this gut. This is alien. It's weird <laughs> stuff. They're smart. They're so smart. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I know we're kind of jumping around here and I wanted to ask this oh, earlier, good. but we kind of went in a different direction. What are your thoughts on seed oils or different types of oils? Cause I know that that I see these things trending as well from health. So we talked about dairy, we talked about gluten, we talked about sugar, but you didn't mention anything about like health or, uh, oils rather. So yeah. we talked about, we <laughs> yeah. talked a lot, a lot, oh, a lot man. about health, <laughs> it's like, I your failed thoughts there. on oils. Yeah. So the, the plant seed oils, the, the rancid oils that they're coming out, um, there's been some, there's been some hate towards them a while back, but it's really started to come to light. I would say the beginning of this year, um, they really started going after it. And I think that what's happening is a lot of the research is coming out and they're like, these, these plant-based oils are, are freaking killing us. So I don't, and that's where you actually get stuck in a little trap there. Cause if you're eating vegan, a lot of the stuff is with plant oils and it is, I mean, it's detrimental to your health. So any oils that I use for cooking is going to be like an avocado based oil. Mm -hmm. um, high boiling point doesn't go rancid and is good to go. Or like a coconut extra virgin, like uh, cold pressed um, coconut oil. Those are my main cookers. And then whenever it comes to like uh, where, again, a lot of vegan sources will be like the um, like butters and things. Um, you got to be really careful with that because it's just going to be inflammatory. And if you can use like a coconut oil as like a, a butter spread or alternative, use that instead because it's yeah. still going to be healthier for you. Yeah. It's the vegan cheese that gets me. I'm just like, give me the vegan cheese. Cause it tastes so good, but it, most ugh. of it is, um, is cashew and like, I don't eat, I eat tofu. So what are your, okay, let's yeah. talk about the vegan <laughs> lifestyle since, since, you know, I'm vegan. Oh boy. Um, yeah. I, I don't do a lot of the, like, I don't buy the impossible fake yeah. meat stuff. Cause I know it's mm -hmm. just a toxic bomb, but if yeah. I'm out to dinner, like obviously everything in moderation, if it's the only option on the menu, besides French fries, sometimes I'll just have an impossible burger. But, um, what are your thoughts on some of the, you know, plant-based versus a meat-based diet? Um, the carnivore, you know, the keto, like all these different things. What are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah. So, um, I'm not a big fan of a lot of fad diets. I don't like keto at all. Um, I don't like, um, vegan that much. I'll say that much just cause I'm trying to be nice to you. You don't, um, you can give it to me straight. You I, don't have yeah. to be nice. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not a big fan of it because first off, a lot of people do it wrong. Um, and they'll go from the standard American diet, which is just eating garbage to eating vegan. They're like, I feel great. And then after about a year, two years, five years go by, they're having all these health problems and they don't know what the heck is going on. And if you don't supplement things in properly, then it's going to lead to further issues down the line. 
And so you start the vegan side of things. I apologize if you can hear my dog barking there. That's all right. We're, we're dog friendly here. <laughs> a, yeah, we're like, they were talking about parasites and she's telling me she has them now. Um, so with with if if you're doing it improperly, you have the risk of decreasing your iron. You have a risk of also eating too much of the sugary stuff because a lot of vegans that I knew, even back in Pittsburgh, all they would eat would be like sugary cookies and they're like, oh, it's vegan. And so they would yeah. mouth that stuff down. Yeah. So if you get that imbalance and you have too many of those carbs going in, but you're not getting good quality proteins and fats, which is tough to get through plants, then you're going to be growing the microbiome to reflect candida and other bacterial overgrowths. Mm. Okay. When it comes to keto, I hate keto. I think the concept behind it is cool. Um, you know, there's, there's some stuff to it, but it was, it was a medical diet. It was used for people with severe um, dietary issues or severe mental issues, cancers, and it's meant to be restricted for a certain period of time, but you're not supposed to live in the keto world for a long period of time. Same thing as vegan. You start off and you're like, I lost 20 pounds. I feel great. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I'm, I feel like I'm dying. What the heck is going on? Then you get another clinical diagnosis, right? Yeah. Um, the the other so we got that one that one the carnivore diet i know there's a lot of um which is basically like keto it's kind of the same thing. Me. Or, yeah, or atkins diet it's it's the it's the glorified atkins diet there i mean i i i think when you say like moderation like maybe doing that for like a week or two if you're like yeah. to me i go back bodybuilding I'm like man i would look great if i cut carbs and just ate meat for like two weeks i would just be shredded yeah. but i also know how unhealthy that is and it's not about like people. just yeah, but it's like putting down like because you need carbohydrates for thyroid health, for other things. Your brain runs on glucose. I know you're like, oh, switch it to keto, switch it to fat burning. It's so hard for our body to convert fats into energy sources. It's a whole process to get there. Um, so the carnivore diet, I think it's good in moderation or in bursts. If you're really like, hey, I want to drop some weight real quick, go for it. But then you have to learn how to reverse diet that. Otherwise, if you go into a, a carb binge afterwards, you're just going to put on a whole bunch of fluff yeah. post yeah. post diet. The things that I really like, and I'll put a lot of my patients on, is either going to be the Mediterranean diet, hmm. um, which is super good, healthy fats, healthy proteins, very low in like the grains and things like that, but still getting some of them in. Um, paleo autoimmune diet is probably my staple, um, which is super good, super healthy, super anti-inflammatory. And then I usually personally will, will kind of go from like the paleo autoimmune to just regular paleo. I'll, I'll bounce between the two of those. And what is the foundation of paleo and Mediterranean for those that don't know, like what kind of foods are you eating or like what is kind of the makeup of that? Style yeah. So of Mediterranean, think about Mediterranean folks. So they're, they're doing a lot more of like the olive oils, the healthier fats. It's going to be like on the highest of like the, the food pyramid basically is going to be that. And then your healthy proteins um, and then just again, low end carbs. So it's basically like the food pyramid flipped upside down. Okay. Paleo is going to be reducing pretty much just all garbage. So a lot of, um, a lot of focus on like super healthy, um, like grass fed beef. Um, you can do like the Turkey, the chicken, um, trying to stay away from depending if you're on paleo autoimmune, you'd be staying away from some of the nightshades and some of the other heavier proteins, eggs and things. Um, regular paleo is pushing in like sweet potatoes, um, just healthier, like vegetables, and just kind of eating the rainbow overall, kind of like a phytonutrient type diet. So a yeah. lot of lot of vegetables, fruits are going to be in the paleo diet there too, and then good quality meats and fat. What are your thoughts on things like brown rice pasta or gluten-free pasta? Gluten-free is tough. Um, I actually I did a podcast on that. Um, 
a lot of like the the, the gluten-free stuff is still going to have some inflammatory things in it um, and i don't know if you've experienced it but if you eat a gluten-free pasta it tends to make you super gassy um, post-consumption a lot of my patients will report that too um, so when it comes to like the gluten-free stuff you just have to be careful brown rice can still have some negative influences um, with people who are gluten sensitive uh, but it's not going to be near as much as if you go and eat just a, a regular wheat-based pasta yeah. I typically don't eat regular pasta. I typically eat brown rice, but I am noticing, um, certain brands, like I'm paying attention to mm -hmm. if I'm buying a gluten-free pasta versus a brown rice pasta, how they digest differently. And the yeah. gluten-free ones I get, um, I feel puffy in my face. Mm. Like I can feel like sinus pressure almost, yeah. which to me feels like a inflammatory response. Um, yeah. so I've been, no I've been paying attention to that. Okay. I know we're almost out of time and I want to <laughs> talk about mold. Cause I know this is another thing that, um, <laughs> maybe we need a second, maybe we need a second show for this, but yeah. a, a years back I, um, went to a naturopath and I had gotten a bunch of blood work done. And, and one of the things that she told me was to not eat peanuts because peanuts mm -hmm. are very high in mold. And so since then I've just, I don't eat peanuts. I have, uh, I love pistachios. I'll do raw cashews, um, and almonds or almond butter. I don't eat almonds. I don't care for like just plain almonds, but, yeah. but I feel like nuts in general probably just have a ton of mold in them anyway. So can you talk a little bit about like mold in our food system? Like, should I not be eating mushrooms because mushrooms are fungus? Like what's the <laughs> difference? Yeah. Fill me in on that. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of mycotoxins that we get in or mold toxins in our food. Um, coffee is going to be one of the number one sources of mycotoxins. Yeah. What? Well, this is for everybody. Else. I know. I'm like, well, I don't you. drink coffee, so we can skip that. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got, we got the mycotoxins in coffee. Um, peanuts are super big with mycotoxins or mold toxins. Pistachios, I still try to tell people to stay away from them or be careful with it because they, I mean, yes, they're absolutely delicious, but the shell. Yeah, it, it, it does. I mean, you'll have some where every once in a while you'll eat one and you're like, that didn't it taste like a little like musty. A, uh. <laughs> it's a little musty. So, so you'll know like the foods that, that turn over very quickly, um, they, they mold fast. Um, cheese is literally moldy milk. So that's another one to, to avoid. So um, rice is another one. So we talked about brown rice, but just rice in general can be high in mold mm -hmm. concentration. Um, trying to go through the list. I have the fourth page of the mycotoxin test in my head, uh, dried vine fruit. So dried fruit that was grown on a vine, uh, raisins, you can have wine has high mold concentration in it. Um, grains, corn, those all can have high levels of mold in them. And in particular, it'll, it'll push up, um, the, the overall name, the overall arching name is going to be your Aspergillus or penicillium strains. And then the mold or the mycotoxin within that is going to be what's known as ochratoxin A, which goes after the brain because uh, mold hides in fat. That's how it kind of operates. Interesting. So from a carbohydrate standpoint, like, okay, so I'm vegan, right? I'm not, I'm mm -hmm. going to get, uh, I get a lot of my, uh, well, I eat a lot of um, fats. I eat a lot of avocado, olive oils, nuts, butters. Yeah. Um, I'll do tofu once a week here and there. Um, but carbohydrate wise, I'm doing rice, brown rice, basmati rice, uh, jasmine rice. I'll mm -hmm. do sweet potatoes um, and brown rice pasta. Those are, and every now, like I have a loaf of gluten-free bread from Trader Joe's in my fridge, but it's not like, I don't crave it very often. It's just yeah. every now and then. So 
what would you suggest based on the, the paleo or the Mediterranean for a complex carbohydrate source that is low on the mold spectrum for someone? So it, I, when people are used to eating a certain thing, I try to find a close alternative to that. So if you're going with like a brown rice or rice in general, then I would push you more towards like a quinoa, which is about quinoa, as close okay. as you can get to it, yeah. or like a cauliflower rice. Um, either okay. you can make it yourself or you can just pan fry it in some healthy oil too and just make your own little stir fry from it. Um, some of the other things, um, so you got the sweet potatoes in there as well. Um, what else would you want to try to find like an alternative for? Cause I heard rice a lot with all the stuff that you ate there. I mean, cause I don't eat a lot of bread. Right. So I'm just thinking from a carb standpoint, like, what do I eat? I'm like, I eat fruit, <laughs> I yeah. eat brown rice, uh, brown rice pasta and I'll have potatoes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, what else is there really? Well, starchy. So I guess, mm-hmm. um, that's what I was going squash, <laughs> like squashes, butternut <laughs> squash, things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do zucchini and yellow squash. I like that. Yeah. So root vegetables, things, things of that nature. Turnips turnips beets um okay. you got the sweet potatoes in there okay. and and where, where i was going i thought you were going there too and we were going to meet there together but there was um when people think carbs mm. a lot of times people think bread yes so to me like i'm trying to find alternative like quinoa and stuff like that but to me i get my carbs in a lot of my vegetables so yes. like green beans peas um carrots um root vegetables beets sweet potatoes like that's kind of, and I try to get as colorful as I can in there. Um, and a little secret is try to get as many uh, red foods in as possible. It's good for the guts. Um, it creates something, again, the red polyphenols, which helps uh, strain a bacteria in your gut name, known as Acromantia mucidophila. It's a super important one. So if you can get things that are red, um, that could be beneficial at growing that. So pomegranates, cranberry, things of that nature into the diet, that can help. So that's so usually where I'll go with, but go ahead. Would that be also like tomatoes, beets, radishes, things like those are considered red as well? Yeah, tomatoes, you just have to be careful because it's in the nightshade family. Uh, and some people yeah. just don't respond very well to tomatoes, uh, yeah. but the rest of those are fine. Yeah. I feel like I could literally sit here and talk to you for hours, which I'm sure is what your <laughs> patients say. And you're like, this is why I have my Works social media yeah. and all this stuff. Okay. So, um, for those that are like, okay, I need you in my life. Like I have parasites, I have mold infection, I have IBS, or like, I just need to de-stress my environment, like all the yeah. things. Um, what's the best way for people to, to connect with you? Yeah. I usually tell people to, to find me on Instagram and it's doc, D-O-C underscore Jock J-A-C-Q-U-E. Um, just hit me in the DMs and just l- let me know a little bit about what you're going through. Um, and we'll usually be able to kind of answer some questions, kind of make sure that we're a good fit before we jump into a consult. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, yeah, we can, we can get you scheduled for a one-on-one deep dive into what you've been going through, do a test read after that and see, you know, what tests were needed, what should the test show and then build a plan from there. So just find me and, and I'll help. And you help patients all over the world or is it specific to your location? Yeah. So we're international. So everything is, is telemedicine. You just have to balance the time zone, which is really the hardest thing about practice in Arizona. Cause we don't play by the rules with our time zone. <laughs> we need to get rid of this whole, you know, uh, yeah. thing anyway. Okay. Um, any programs or offerings that you have right now that, um, aside from maybe the one-to-one or their programs or free resources that, um, you share with others? 
Yeah, so I'm in the process of, of releasing a coaching program for whether it's chiropractors, naturopaths, MDs, um, just holistic people who are like, hey, I'm in the health industry. I just want to learn what you do. Um, we're rolling out that course. Um, should be here soon. Um, and once that gets released, we're doing early enrollment here, actually, like starting now. So if anybody is interested, do the same thing. Just find me on Instagram, DM me. We'll jump on a call to see if we're a good fit, talk about the program and see where we want to go. A phase two after that is released, we will be doing like these little, um, I call them little, but these little master classes for people to take care of their own health by themselves. So we're going to do a gut focus or a gut intensive, a neuroendocrine, teach you how to eat based off of your cycle if you're a woman or like how to optimize testosterone for, for a guy and then going into detoxification. So we're going to be working on rolling out like three different programs that are just easy. You can kind of do them yourself. And if you need any help and support throughout it, we can always jump on a call from there. Yeah. See, we didn't get to talk about like, um, what am I saying? Enemas. We didn't get to talk about like <laughs> women's cycles. I'm going to have to have you back. It's, it's just works for me. <laughs> right. Awesome. Okay. Last question. What are you celebrating right now? What am I celebrating? Mm -hmm. Oh man. I'll, I mean, I'll just be flat out. We had this month was the, the bittersweet month where I took a, a week off. And again, with doing telehealth and telemedicine, I can go and do whatever I want and still work. But I took a week off this month. And this month was, um, we're on par to make 100000 this month, which is, it'll be the highest that we've had thus far, which is pretty awesome. That's fucking amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So we're pretty happy about that. How are you going to celebrate? <laughs> Uh, well, I'm going to be going to Pittsburgh here on Saturday. So we're just going to be going on like a little mini vacation, go there, see my family, go up to Maine uh, to see Megan's family and stuff up there and just have time with the, the family and kids. I love it. That is yeah. a testament to um, your service to the world and your commitment mm -hmm. to helping people move from good to great and mm -hmm. give up, you know, pain for pleasure Yeah. or however you want to, you know, navigate that. Um, but also all the, all the lives that you're impacting. So I'm celebrating yeah. you for that. I'm like, okay, how do I need to like, I'm, I was thinking of this yesterday. I was thinking about all my, my friends. I'm like, wow, I want to hire this person for this thing and this one for that one. And now I'm like, I, I want to know if I have parasites. So yeah. <laughs> I might be reaching out to you. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of your wisdom and knowledge and um, for riding with me as I bounced all yeah. over the place. Um, and if you guys love this episode, please share it with someone you think would love to hear it. And until the next episode, live your boldly courageous life. Bye, guys. Thank you so much for living your boldly courageous life with me today. I am beyond grateful for you and this amazing community we are building together. It's truly my mission to get this message out into the world and empower others to step fully into the life they've always dreamed of. I would be so incredibly grateful if you would join me in this mission by sharing this episode with your friends and heading over to iTunes to leave me a five-star review. And until the next episode, remember to live your boldly courageous life.